Well, it's good to be in church on Tuesday night. I have bad news for you. This is Tuesday night. That means we only have one night left. It's gone by very quickly for us, Brother Carpenter. Uh, And and I was uh, was telling somebody in the back that every once in a while we'll get somewhere and by Tuesday night we're thinking, oh, it's only Tuesday. (laughs) And and that is not the case uh, here. We... We have enjoyed being here. We always enjoy being here and seeing you folks and seeing what God is doing here and seeing new faces. Uh, It's scary when you go back to the same place over a number of years and you never see any new faces. You ought to see some new faces. Amen. And it's good to meet some new friends and see some new faces and still see faithful faces that have been here. I was going to say old, but I'm not going to say that, that have been here for a long time. Nothing wrong with old faces. <laughs> According to the Bible, that's a good thing. Amen? And so it's good to see those who've been faithful for a long, long time and then new folks as well. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number 2. When you find Philippians, chapter number 2, if you're able to stand, would you stand with me as we read the Word of God Philippians chapter number 2. I'm going to start reading tonight in verse number 12, but you'll notice the first word in verse number 12 is the word wherefore. And all that means is that it's because of everything that was said before that, all that we saw last night. So look at verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here tonight. Lord, thank you that you are the same no matter what circumstances of life we're facing. You're always good and you always have things well under control. God, tonight as we look into your word, we ask again that you would use it in our hearts and lives. And we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I, I rarely say anything about what's back on the table um, because, quite honestly, I usually forget. And uh, I always figure if you want to see it, you can always go by and see it. But if you'd go back there tonight, uh, grab one of our prayer cards. It's the picture, the, our newest picture that looks the most like us. And so uh, if you'd get one of those and pray for us, We would surely appreciate it. And we have some new things back there and then some old things that are that are five dollars that we're trying to get rid of some old CDs that we're trying to empty out of the barn. And uh, if you need some of those, this would be a great time to get them because when they're gone, they're gone. And we're taking some some of our even older things and putting them online on our website so that they're available as downloads. We won't be making them as CDs again, but they're available as downloads, and our newest things are available there as well. It's just mrogers.com, and if you go there, you can find what we have that's available to download, and you can sign up for our, uh, 
uh, our little email uh, prayer letter thing. Let me assure you that you will not get much email from us. Our little prayer letter thing, originally, I, I, I was going to send it out, you know, every couple of months. And then it was every quarter. And then it was twice a year. And now it's just once in a great while when it happens. But if you sign up for that and get on our little, uh, I promise, I will not fill your inbox with spam. It simply won't happen. I don't send that much stuff. But anytime we have some new music or something happening like that, uh, we'll send you a little blip and you'll find out about it. So if you want to do that, you can. But please get a prayer card and pray for us. We would greatly appreciate that. A lot of transitions going on. You know, David's going to graduate in just a few weeks, Lord willing. And, uh, and then he's planning on going off to Bible college in the fall. And then it'll just be Liz and myself again. And people keep asking, what are we going to do? What in the world are we going to do? Same thing we did before the kids were here. That's what we'll do. We'll stay in nicer hotels and eat in better restaurants. That's what we'll do. <laughs> we will spend the same amount of money and get a lot more for it. That's what we're going to do. So you pray for us <laughs> and pray for them because they'll be eating college food. Amen. Here in Philippians chapter number two, uh, last night we saw uh, how the Lord Jesus Christ is our example uh, in both in humility and in exaltation. And then in verse 12, he starts off and says, wherefore, because of all that. Now, remember, he's talking to the church at Philippi, these persecuted believers. My beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is what I want to preach to you about tonight. Work out your salvation. Notice I did not say work for your salvation. Because God didn't say that. That's not what he said. He said work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And if you look at what we saw last night at the, at the end of the message, those last few verses, because the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted, because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, because of that, work out your salvation. Put it out there. Let people know what God has done in your life. We see the pattern here of Bible salvation. And that is, first of all, you receive salvation by grace through faith because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But you don't just receive it, then you work it out. Now, again, these are persecuted people in the church at Philippi. And if they go out on the street corner and start professing their belief in Christ, they are taking their own life in their hands. And yet God says to them, do that. Work it out. Don't be satisfied to leave it inside where nobody can see it. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, it might be scary. It might be hard. It might be difficult and there might be a lot of pressure against you, but work it out anyway. You may risk something to do so, but work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, sometimes we, we are easily stopped. You know, we get a little pushback and, and we're done. We stop. That is not what God would have us to do. In the day in which we live, it is not going to get easier to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to get harder. And I promise you, if God said to the church at Philippi, when you're risking everything to put your faith out there, he would say the same thing to us. 
We're not risking what they're risking. But it is more difficult than it used to be. Bible Christianity is not as socially acceptable as it was at one time in our society. Now it's looked down on, it's mocked, it's derided. And those who put into action what they believed in church on Sunday, when they put that into action in their business place on Monday and Tuesday, sometimes there is some severe backlash. You could ask a a man by the name of Jack Phillips, the owner of the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Denver, Colorado, who because, listen, his crime was that he took what he said he believed on Sunday and he applied it to his business practices on Monday. And when a a homosexual couple came in and said, we want you to do this cake for our wedding, he said, I can't be part of your wedding. I don't believe that's right. Can't do it. You can go down the road and you can get a cake down there and all will be well. And he has been under persecution ever since. Not just, not just by the first lawsuit, but as soon as he, he won the first one, they slapped another one on him. And they just continue for the crime of being consistent about what you believe from the Word of God. They said it's not as socially acceptable as it was at one time. You can ask a, a little old lady by the name of Baronelle Stutzman. She's a florist. She's a grandma who sells flowers. She's in Richland, Washington, not far from where Liz's father pastors. As a matter of fact, some of the folks in the church there work for her and deliver flowers. She's just a little old grandma. And one day some people came in and they wanted her to do flowers for a for a homosexual wedding. And she said, I I can't come do that. I can't come be part of that. I I believe it's wrong and it's an abomination before God. And so I can't come do that. But there are plenty of other places that would be glad to do that. And by the way, the people who wanted her to do the flowers were, were steady customers and they didn't cause the problem. It was the state of Washington. And she has been quite literally being persecuted by the state of Washington ever since. They've taken everything that she's got. They have destroyed her life. And she's just a little grandma who sells flowers. But she committed the crime of taking what she believed to be true on Sunday and applying it to her business out in public on Monday. And the government said, no, you can't do that. They don't care what you believe as long as it stays inside these walls. You can say anything you want, as long as it stays in here. But if it goes out there, all of a sudden, then it's a problem. And you know what God says to us? Don't keep it in here. Put it out there. Because it doesn't affect the world unless it goes out there. It's got to go out beyond these walls, and that is the desire and the will of God. So we see the pattern of Bible salvation is that you receive salvation, and then you work it out. Notice here in in verse number 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. If you had any idea that verse number 12 meant salvation comes by works, verse number 13 should have alleviated that question in your mind. It should just wipe it away. I had a man tell me just a, well, it's probably been three years ago now. And he wanted to talk to me after church. And I thought he wanted to ask questions. He didn't really want to ask questions. He wanted to tell me why his religion was enough to get to heaven. 
And he quoted this passage and he says, salvation is by works and that's why I have to work for my salvation. That is not what the passage says. And then it says in the very next verse, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Listen, it's not, it's not our works that save us or keep us saved or, or allow us to gain the favor of God. It's the blood of Christ that does all of that. You see, salvation is by grace through faith. And the power and the ability to serve is also by grace through faith. My, I have, uh, well, my, my three older brothers uh, are not saved and uh, the middle brother, his wife, uh, has taken a, a liking to my wife and, and they've been able to talk. And Liz has been able to share the gospel with her very clearly and plainly several times. And that's a wonderful blessing. And she has said, she has said to Liz, I, I can't be a Christian because I can't live like you. Listen, living like us is not becoming a Christian. Becoming a Christian is trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's becoming a Christian. Listen, living a certain way doesn't save you and it doesn't keep you saved. You need to put that as far out of your mind as you possibly can. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that paid the penalty for your salvation. It's not your works that you have done or will do or should do. It's because of Him and Him alone. By the way, uh, some of you know that Uh, My mother passed away last year, April 1st. She was 93. She had had dementia for several years, and she was in an assisted living facility. And uh, we, uh, we went up to do the funeral last year in the spring. And it was the first time, it was the first time that my brothers have ever heard me preach. Now I've preached in the town untold times, but they refused to come. They simply won't come but they had to come to the funeral. Amen. And we gave them the gospel. We gave them the gospel over and over. And then the the pastor gave it to them again out at the graveside. And just pray, if you think about it, that God would take what they have heard and use it in their lives because they just need to get saved. They really desperately do. So there's then not only the, the pattern of Bible salvation, but we see the process of working out your salvation. You will discover as you, as you study the Word of God that when God tells you to do something, He quite often then tells you how He wants it done. There is usually a right way and a wrong way to do what God has told you to do. And it's up to us to figure out what God says is the right way. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. was an old Methodist evangelist and he traveled all over mainly the southeast and held great revival meetings and he had a lot of famous sayings. One of his famous sayings was this, it's never right to do wrong to do right. In other words, the end does not justify the means. You have to follow the rules. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5 says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. In other words, you may win the prize, but if you broke the rules to get to the prize, you lose. The classic example of that is Lance Armstrong. You remember Lance Armstrong? The famous cyclist. Won all the, all the awards, all the trophies, had all of the, the sponsorships and, and all the rest. And, you know, just unbeatable. 
And then at the end of his career, he admitted that he'd been cheating. He'd broken the rules. He had taken banned substances. And his, his reasoning, his excuse was, well, everybody does it. Well, that doesn't matter. And now those records and those trophies and all of those things, those are just wiped clean. They're gone. All of those years of practice, all of those years of work, and by the way, all the sponsorships are gone. All of it's gone. It's just gone. And I promise you there are times when he probably lays in his bed at night and he wonders, I wonder if I could have done it without cheating. But we'll never know because he's too old now. He's past his prime and he couldn't win now. He couldn't, he'd, be, he'd be very fortunate to come in in the middle of the pack now. We'll never know. What happened? Well, he, he got the trophy, but then they discovered that he didn't do it lawfully. So it's gone. There will be some folks who get to heaven thinking they've done an awful lot for God. And they'll find out that it simply didn't count for anything because they didn't do it the way God said it should be done. Be careful. God tells us how to work out our own salvation. Look, if you would, here in verse 14. This is, this is the way to do it. Work it out, but do all things without murmurings and disputings. Without murmurings. In other words, uh, fighting back and forth and arguing and fussing with each other sounds a lot like verse number three, doesn't it? Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. He said, now I want you to work out your salvation, but do it without murmurings and disputings. Don't, don't be fighting with each other and refusing to talk to each other and then go out there and tell everybody how wonderful your relationship with Jesus is. Don't do that. You get your problems solved and fixed and then go tell everybody how wonderful it is to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. If you're fussing and fighting with each other, that doesn't draw people to the gospel. It pushes them away from the gospel. There's a church that we go to where they were known in the community as the church where the fist fight broke out in the parking lot. That is not how you want to be known. You, you don't want people to say, oh, that church, that's where they had the big fight in the parking lot. No, no, no. It all started with a business meeting. <laughs> you know how business meetings are. And the business meeting worked its way out into the parking lot. Next thing you know, there's a big brawl and the police had to come and break it up. And, and that, was, that was over 30 years ago. Over 30 years ago. I mean, most of the people who were there then are not even there now. It's a whole different group of people, different pastor, everything. And yet, people who were not even alive when it happened know that that's the church where the fist fight in the parking lot happened. First time I was ever there, the guy, the guy that took me there, my dear preacher friend took me there. It was Brother Jim White, took me there. And he said, yeah, they had a big fist fight in the parking lot here a few years ago. Whoa. Listen, all that does is keep people from listening to the message of the gospel. Listen, if you're going, to put your, you're going to put your salvation out there, do it without murmurings and disputings, because the world doesn't need more conflict and dispute. They need, they need to know that we have a Savior who can solve those problems. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless. So as you work out your salvation, do it without murmurings and disputings so that you can be blameless. What, what does that mean, blameless? Well, 
in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, down through verse number 7, it gives the qualifications for a pastor. Do you know, you know what the first qualification is? That he would be blameless. Now, what does that really mean? Does that mean that your pastor can never have said a crossword in his life and, and you know, he got saved at three years old and, and he's been, you know, the model of Christianity ever since? No, obviously that's not what that means because the people who would have gotten saved here would have gotten saved as adults. And they would have had a life usually of paganism and heathenism before they got saved. So what it's talking about is what has been his testimony since he's trusted Christ. Is he blameless? It says the same thing in Titus chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. And that, of course, is talking about a pastor, and that's important. And I think you'd agree that is important. Amen? But in Philippians, it's not talking about pastors. It's talking about everybody. It's talking about saved people in general. We're all supposed to be blameless because we're going to work out our salvation to a lost world that needs to see that what we have is real and it works in real life. We need to be blameless. That's our testimony up this far in our walk with Christ. That's not perfection. It's just that you're blameless. Nobody can, nobody can lay a charge on you that you've done something dishonest and wicked and all the rest. Listen, if you're going to be out there telling people that you're a Christian, then you need to be honest. You need to be upright. Can I just, can I just tell you the truth? When I'm looking for a plumber, I don't look for the plumber who has a little Christian fish in his, on his website or his ad. I've been scammed by those people. You know who I look for? I look for the one that other people tell me is the best plumber in town. Now, if you're a Christian and you're a plumber, you ought to be the best plumber in town. And you ought to be the most honest and upright. But you know as well as I do, it's not always that way. So if I'm looking for somebody to work on my car, again, I don't go try to find a Christian. I try to find a really good mechanic. And if there's a Christian mechanic, it ought to be him. He ought to be the best mechanic in town. He ought to be the most trustworthy one. Do you see what I'm saying? All too often, it's, oh yeah, that guy said he's a Christian, and he cheated me, and he did this, and he did that, and all that does is damage the cause of Christ. Listen, if you're going to cheat people and lie and all the rest, then please don't tell them you're a Christian. Don't do that, because now you're not only affecting yourself, you're affecting everybody who tries to witness to them. You're affecting everybody that they will talk to and say, oh, I know those Christians, and they're sorry, and they're, they're no good, and all the rest. It's important that we be blameless when we are working out our salvation. We record uh, most of our, uh, except for the last couple of CDs, we've recorded everything at the same studio in Fairbanks, Alaska. It's, it's very rustic. It's a log cabin 
down a pole line. Now, I, I know you don't have anybody that lives down pole lines in Woodbridge, Virginia. I understand that. But in Alaska, things are a little different. And wherever there's a line of electrical poles, people start driving snowmobiles and, and things along there. And eventually, everything dies along there. And then they start driving cars along there. And then they buy property along there. And they build stuff out in the woods on the pole line. And if enough of them live back there, eventually they dump gravel on it and turn it into a road. And that's where this studio is. It's down a pole line and, you know, these little ratty looking places back here in the woods. And you get down and here's this beautiful log cabin. Upstairs is a recording studio. When they built the recording studio, they had to decide if they wanted indoor plumbing or a studio. And so they built a beautiful studio and an outhouse. Really, <laughs> I'm not making this up. Liz will tell you. And she's been there many times. And, uh, and you know, we've, we've recorded there in the dead of winter when you're there for hours on end. I mean, hours on end going over songs and recording stuff. And sooner or later, you've got to visit the outhouse. And when it's 20 below, an outhouse is a unique experience. I believe, I believe, I just believe everybody should have one at least once in their life because it would break you of the habit of spending an hour in the bathroom. I promise you, you, you get in there in the winter, you do what you got to do, you get out of there. Amen. But they had lovely little outhouse curtains on the windows. I, just beautiful. <laughs> but a nice little studio. And, and we would do our vocals there. there. There are a couple of old hippies. That's what they are. And they would tell you that. There are a couple of old hippies. They're just music geeks and hippies. That's what they are. They are not saved yet. They love it when we go there. They love our music. They love to record us. They think it's the greatest thing in all the world. We took the kids in there and recorded years ago that song, I'm Thankful, uh, like David and, and Noah. <laughs> not Moses. Noah and and we record, they thought that was the greatest song they'd ever heard in all their lives. They played it over and over. They, they emailed me weeks later and said, we're still playing that song. We love that song. And a bunch of kids from our church have gone there. She plays all manner of instruments. They've taken lessons from her. Everybody witnesses to them. We all try to get them to come to church. They are not saved yet. But they're as honest as the day is long. And they've never, they have never even come close to taking advantage of us. They always do exactly what they say they're going to do. They give us more time than we ever pay for. I mean, they make us brownies. <laughs> brownies and tea. It's wonderful. I do not know what's in there, but they're wonderful. Amen. <laughs> have... <laughs> I did, they are old hippies. You know, you just never know. You just eat the brownies and smile and go up and sing. That's all you do. And, and we just have the best time. And I've had people say to me, you mean you don't go to a, to a Christian recording studio? Well, no, these people are honest. <laughs> it, it's the kind of a business where you really can take advantage of people. If you know what you're doing and they don't, you can really take advantage of them badly. And they've never even once tried to do that. They've always been honest and above board, and we've tried to keep a good relationship. I want to see them get saved someday. I want to see them get saved. Listen, that should be, if you're a Christian and you're in that business, that should be your reputation. 
They're honest as the day is long. They're trustworthy. You know, we, we never question. Everything's going to be above board. That's being blameless. And it's not just pastors that are supposed to be that. It's every child of God that's supposed to be that. That she may be blameless and harmless. Now, blameless, that's your, that's your testimony of your life in Christ. And, and then harmless, that's what you're doing right now. Listen, don't, don't use the cover of putting your Christianity out there just to do harm to the work of God. So oh, that would never happen. Yes, that does happen. There was a church in Kansas. I'm not even going to tell you the name because they don't deserve the publicity. And they would go to military funerals, you know. And they would hold up horrible signs saying that these people who had died in service to our country were in hell. Can I just say, they didn't even know those people. You can't say somebody's in hell if you don't know them and you don't know their background. You don't know if they've trusted Christ. And they'd hold up terrible signs and say they're in hell and horrible, horrible stuff. And they'd say, oh, we're just, we're just spreading the truth of the word of God. No, they were not. They were doing harm to the work of God. So that when somebody comes along and says, let me, let me give you the gospel, immediately they think, oh yeah, I know what you are. You're like those people. And we're not. We're not. But the devil is clever. And he'll get people to cause harm to the work of God. And God says, don't do that. You need to be blameless and you need to be harmless. That's the proper way, the process of working out your salvation. And then thirdly, we see the perversion of this world. He says that ye may be blameless and harmless. Verse 15, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. I don't think I have to tell you we live in a crooked and perverse nation. We don't have to delve into all of it. But you can't deny it. It's crooked and is perverse. And it's getting more perverse each and every day. Things that we shouldn't even have to talk about in public are splashed in front of us every day. And we're told that if we, that if we don't accept those things fully, there's something wrong with us. We live in a crooked and perverse nation. There's no doubt about it. We slaughter little babies for no reason other than they're an inconvenience to us. And we do it over and over and over again. It was your previous governor who said if a little baby somehow survived that, that they would be set to the side until they decide what to do with them. And that didn't even get him thrown out of office. Should have. I mean, for goodness sakes, we're in Virginia, not California. That should have gotten him thrown out of office and thrown out of office fast. Around the same time, the governor then of New York, who did get thrown out of office, <laughs> not for this, they passed a law. It used to be in New York and most places that if you hurt a pregnant woman, you could be held liable for two crimes, one against the woman, one against the baby. And New York, being enlightened as they are, changed that law because that's not really a baby. They changed that 
so that now you'd only have one crime there. And then they celebrated allowing abortion up to 40 weeks and lit up the Empire State Building with pink lights to show how much they supported women. Killing babies is not supporting women. You can look at the statistics. The majority of babies that are aborted are female. That's not supporting women. That's killing women. Oh, well, it's supporting minorities. Oh, no, it's not. They put those places in minority communities on purpose. They do. And they slaughter little babies every single day. We live in a crooked and perverse nation. You can't make a case otherwise. But look at what he says in verse 15. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Yes, it's a crooked and perverse nation, but in the midst of all that, he says to the church at Philippi, being persecuted in a crooked and perverse nation, not you should shine as lights in the world, you do shine as lights in the world. You see, the darker it is, the easier it is to shine. When the lights are on, you don't see little lights that are around you. But if all the lights in this room went off and there were no lights in the hallway because we're separated from outside windows, all of a sudden you would notice how bright the exit signs are. And you would notice that in various places around the, uh, the sound equipment, there are little tiny lights on different things, on speakers, and there'd be a little glow back there in the sound equipment from little lights that you've never noticed and never seen. The darker it gets, the brighter just a little light is. William Booth, in starting the Salvation Army, his idea was if you get your brass instruments and your drums and you go out on the sidewalk and you blow the horns and you bang the drum, the whole point was you can get some people to gather and then you can preach the gospel to them. You don't have to get drums and horns and, and bang them and, and blow them to get, to get people to notice anymore. You want people to notice something's going on. All you'd have to do is take this book to work with you tomorrow. You don't have to wear a sign. You don't have to blow a horn or bang a drum. Just take this to work and lay it down on your desk or on the table in the lunchroom. Now, you probably won't be employed by tomorrow afternoon. Why? Well, because it's so dark that just having that sitting there is such a bright light that it shines on the wickedness and causes offense to those who hate God. You don't have to, you don't have to make a big fuss now. All you got to do is just hold this. Just say, I, I, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I, I stand on what the Word of God says. And all of a sudden you're shining like a spotlight because we live in such a dark, crooked, perverse world. I think it's significant that he didn't say, I want you to shine. He said, you do shine. You just don't have to do much to shine in the day in which we live. And then finally, we see the payoff of eternity. Look at verse 16. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. All through the little four-chapter book of Philippians, you see a couple of themes you see rejoicing. It's in every chapter. Rejoice, 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 rejoice. And you also see 
the people at Philippi and the Apostle Paul having their thoughts directed to eternity instead of the difficulties of this life. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, until the day of Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 10, till the day of Christ. Chapter 1, verse 21, to die is gain. Chapter 1, verse 23, to depart and be with Christ is far better. Chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Chapter 2, verse 16, I will rejoice in the day of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 13, reaching forth unto those things which are before. Chapter 3, verse 14, uh, Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 20, our conversation is in heaven. And chapter 3, verse 21, one day he will change our vile bodies to be like him. He's pointing them in the direction of what's coming in the future. He said, well, it's hard to live for Jesus and it's scary to live for Jesus. It's worth it in eternity. It's well worth it. Oh, it might be hard now. It might be scary now. It might get you into a little trouble now and get you looked down on by some people. But God says it is worth it in eternity. Hold forth the word of life. We were, uh, <coughs> we were invited to go sing uh, for, for a group of uh, Alzheimer's and dementia patients. They're a friendly group to sing to. And we have, we have a dear friend that's involved in it. It's, it's a, a ministry called the Veranda in the Nashville area. And, uh, and they bring in these people who have full-time caregivers. And the whole idea is that they have them a couple days a week for three or four hours. And it gives the full-time caregivers an opportunity to go do the things that you can't do when you have to watch somebody 24 hours a day. And so they get a little break and these people come in and they feed them lunch and they sing songs and they do Bible lessons and they do crafts and they play games and they just, they just love them for a few hours and then their caregivers come get them, take them back. And they said, do you want to come down and sing for our, uh, for our veranda people? And we said, well, we certainly need the practice. So we would love to do that. And so we went on down. It was about 45 minutes from our house in Franklin, Kentucky, down there to Gallatin, Tennessee. And we went down and we found the place. And quite honestly, when we get home and we have a couple days at home, we guard those days very jealously because we don't get many days at home. And so quite often we don't go anywhere. We don't do anything. We're just home. And there's a lot of stuff that always has to be done. And on this, this day, we were going to go down there, 45 minutes down there. We were going to spend a couple down there, hours down there, 45 minutes back. It was going to be the entire day. And I was getting a little cranky. Not as cranky as Liz and the kids were getting. But, but I was getting a little bit cranky about the whole idea of losing my Thursday at the house. And so we were going down and we got there and, and they had, they'd already eaten lunch and it was spaghetti. It was bad spaghetti. And they said, here's some bad spaghetti. Well, they, they said, here's some spaghetti for you. And, the, and they're all in the other room and whenever you're ready, you can go and sing. So we ate the bad spaghetti and, and they said, all right, they're in there. Just go in and sing. And we walked in the door and there, there's this whole room full of people. And there's 50 of them or so in there and all there. Some of them had full-time nurses with them and, and health care workers. And, and so we went up to the piano and, and we started to sing. And, and we sang. 
And we sang. And we sang. And the more we sang, the more we were enjoying it. And we watched these, we watched these people, many of them who couldn't talk to you, who didn't know their own names, didn't know where they were. There was one little lady sitting there, her head was just all bent over. And we sang everything we knew and a whole bunch of stuff we didn't know. And then we just started singing hymns. And all of a sudden, she lifts her head up. And not only does she lift her head up, look around, she starts singing. Amen. She's singing. She's singing Amazing Grace and the Old Rugged Cross. And when we all get to heaven and, and there's a, a former pastor in the back who, who can't control his actions and his words. And he blurts out things that embarrass him. And, and he's back there singing. And, and here's a little lady over here that played the organ in church all her life. And now she can't even move her hands. And she's sitting there singing. And, and we just sang and we sang and we sang. And the more we sang, the better we liked it. And it was David's favorite day in all the world. He got smooched twice. You never know about those little old ladies, you know. They would, they would beckon him over like they wanted to tell him something and then plant one right on him. And he's asked to go back every day since. Every day. Every day. He wants that to be his ministry. So. And by the time it was all over, listen, we were singing heaven songs. When we all get to heaven and when the roll is called up yonder and my kids and, and Liz and, and there were four or five of these little old ladies. I mean, they could barely stand up and they're all lined up in a row. Now, careful. This was it was not our thing. We didn't do it. We were just there singing. And they were all lined up. They had their arms on each other's shoulders. And we were singing when the roll is called up yonder. And they were kicking their legs back and forth. singing. It wasn't our thing. It, it wasn't us. And, and, they're, and they're kicking their legs and they're singing. And one nearly fell and we had to catch her. And we thought we were going to break a hip and everything. And then it was all over. And they all left. And we drove back home. And all we got out of it was bad spaghetti. There, there, was no, there was no love offering. There was no CDs to sell. None of that stuff. And, and we didn't expect that. All we got was bad spaghetti. I think we got more out of it than they got out of it. Because 10 minutes after they were gone, I promise you, they didn't even know we were there. Honestly, they didn't. They didn't have a clue. It was just completely out of their mind. But God knew. Listen, you need to do some stuff that doesn't have a payoff here. And you'll have more to look forward to when you get to heaven. Listen, if everything you do here has a payoff here, that means you already got your reward. When you go, when you go out and pick up some little snotty-nosed kid and bring him in for Sunday school, there is no payoff for that here. All you're going to get out of it is a snotty-nosed kid who's going to put handprints on the wall and cause trouble in junior church and all the rest. But what if that kid gets saved? Oh, now, now you've got treasure in heaven. Here's something to look forward to. Listen, some of the greatest ministries that ever will be have no payoff here at all. But there's payoff there. It's not always easy to do something for God here. But you'll be glad you did one day. You'll be glad. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice, not necessarily now, but in the day of Christ, I'll rejoice that I have not run in vain. Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could be here tonight. 
Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture that points us toward the eternal. God, help us not to get so locked into the immediate and the temporal that we forget there is something far more important. And that's what happens when we leave this place and we stand in your presence. And because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, God, help us to live with that in mind every day and lay up treasure in heaven. Lord, maybe there's somebody here tonight who's never trusted Christ as Savior and they don't have anything to look forward to. If that's the case, God, I pray they'd come get saved tonight. It's their greatest need. Lord, for each and every saved person, help us to get our focus where it needs to be. To honoring you, serving you, living for you because of what comes next. We'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe tonight the Spirit of God spoke into your heart. When was the last time you did something? Just for God. Nobody patted you on the back. Nobody gave you an award. It cost you to do it. But you did it just because you wanted to do it for the Lord. I told the kids when we were on our way down to that place, Said my, at that time, my mother was in assisted living in Alaska. I said, we, we can't go do this for grandma. But today we're going to do this for somebody else's grandma. And maybe God will send somebody by up there to sing for her. And he'll take care of that. When was the last time? Listen, if it's been a while, why don't you ask God to help you find something to do? Something that will have an eternal payoff. The instruments are going to begin to play as she does. This invitation is open for you tonight. This altar is open for you tonight. Are you working out your salvation? It doesn't do any good to leave it in here. Work it out. Put it out there where it can have an effect on this world that so desperately needs Jesus Christ. And the payoff in eternity will be more than you ever imagined. 